Indeed, the patriarchal records themselves clearly taught that God could not be fully found except through the ordinances he had established. Ordinances that brought direct revelation through the gift of the Holy Ghost. And so I just posed the question, how can God be fully found? Or what does that mean to fully find God? What, what are all of your, your thoughts? This has been one that I've, you know, I've thought about because fully found is kind of a, a thing, but, you know, Joseph Smith hadn't been baptized, hadn't received the gift of the Holy Ghost and was able to speak with God. And Abraham, same thing. It sounds like he was, you know, doing right things and asking and was able to speak with God. Obviously, to get all the blessings and return to him in the celestial kingdom, we need the temple ordinances and everything else, the priesthood that goes with it. So I have to believe that fully found means, you know, that level of, um, of reaching our potential versus just being able to speak and be inspired and receive revelation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you so much there. Um, yeah, there, there, there's a lot there in that first section. Um, any uh, comments or, or things that you learned there that were new? Um, uh, there's a lot of talk about the ordinances, about Shem and Melchizedek, uh, that connection, the uh, occupations of, well, I guess occupations is the next section, but um, just any insights, any comments of, of things that you learned in that first section there? So sorry to jump in and hog because <laughs> you should be quiet. Uh, the, the, the discussion about Shem and Melchizedek I found interesting because I kind of grew up in back of my mind. I always, I always thought that Ab Abraham went and paid tithes and that's when he got the priesthood and all the ordinances and all of that. And it was for Melchizedek, but according to this timeline, um, you know, that he actually had the priesthood and the ordinances and all those other things happened well before the time he went to pay tithes. Um, and it may not have been Melchizedek. So he received them from someone else, you know, probably Enoch. Mm -hmm. Um, that was, that was new to me. I had to kind of go back and reread that and think through that one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I love that this book is kind of breaking down some of those common, well, not breaking them down, but um, uh, giving us uh, insights or, or food for thought into other possibilities of some of the common things that we've grown up thinking or um, just the conventional thoughts between uh, Jews and Christians and, and things. Yeah, I, I love that section there. Um, I, I had always kind of heard that Shem was Melchizedek and I just thought that that was a cool insight, um, but yeah, uh, just kind of breaking down some of those misconceptions there. I think Joseph Smith even said in, in uh, uh, not the Articles of Faith, the uh, other one, um, that Shem was probably uh, Melchizedek. So he may still be, but it sounds like Shem slash Melchizedek was probably not around at the time um, this all happened and that the Bible may be uh, somebody's translated it to make it seem that way. I don't know. That's one of those things where you put it on the shelf and you go, hmm, let's see what other <laughs> yep. things pop up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a, a good analogy. Putting it on the shelf, sometimes <laughs> we get mired down with, with some of those. Huh? And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll find out someday. And, and that might be something to, to go to God with, with uh, a personal petition for a revelation too. Yep. All right. Um, let's talk about um, Abraham being the, the splendid missionary that he was. What, how has that changed your paradigm or perception of Abraham, knowing just how much missionary work and, and what kind of a missionary he was? I, I find that that really changed uh, and opened my eyes to, to him in a new way that I had never considered before. Uh, we talk about the, the covenant and, and uh, the Abrahamic tests and things, but I, I never knew anything about his missionary experiences or um, those things. 
does anyone else have that that same kind of uh, new enlightening connection with Abraham there through missionary work? Trying to get unmuted. I just I just was so impressed with how um, how submersed they were in missionary work. It was their whole life. I mean, that's 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 really all that they did, and really that's what we should do too. Um, but it's just it was amazing to me how committed they were and how naturally that came to them. And it was just it was such an inspiration. I thought what an example for all of us just to have that on our minds and our focus all the time. It's, it was just, it was very inspirational to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and, and yeah, thanks Libby for, for popping in the chat. Sometimes I forget to, <laughs> to look over there and I need to keep uh, getting reminded of that. Um, so she says that she loved the temple assignment and she misses the temple even more. And that um, uh, with Abraham, his continual kindness is amazing and so inspiring. Yes, thank you. I do have written here in, in my own side footnote things or whatever, but I don't have the reference. I, I need to, that's my homework assignment for the week to find where I got this. But um, it says that the endowment was anciently called the right-hand ordinance. Um, so back then, it, they didn't call it the endowment or... Uh, that but uh, anytime you're talking about the right hand or the right hand ordinance it meant that they were receiving those same blessings that that we received during an endowment um the the, the five laws signs tokens all of that was was all classified as a right hand ordinance I, I need to find my my reference there but um it's interesting to note uh, throughout all of this a lot of times when we're talking about enoch or that that rainbow imagery um, with the right hand sticking through, uh, uh, welcoming the initiates in kind of a thing. Um, a lot of that is pointing to that, that right hand ordinance. Um, Can I pop in about the missionary work? Yeah, for sure. So I have to confess, I, I didn't read this week. I had a lot of other things going on, but I wanted to come and learn <laughs> from you guys anyway. But um, I don't know if you guys have a lot of friends that aren't members of the church that are active in their own congregations, but I'm always like, I had this neighbor that she would always pray with me all the time. And her husband passed away. And I said, you know, I talked to her, I don't know. I talked to her periodically, kept in touch with her. And she was in her late sixties, early seventies. And um, I don't know, maybe four or five months in, she was taking me through the house and talking about his tool shed. And whenever he needed a tool, he'd go buy a new one instead of looking for the one that he already had. And she had all these tools. And she told me, I'm praying over these to see who they belong to, who God wants them to go to. Hmm. And she was such an example to me. And, um, you know, I'd say, oh, Candy, I'm having a hard time with this. <gasps> And she'd just start praying. And I'm like, why are we not like that? Why are we afraid of our faith? Why are we afraid to show it that much? And I find, I mean, we, we're a missionary church and yet all of us, I want to say, not all of us, the majority of us shy away from doing missionary work and teaching others about the gospel and even just inviting. And I'm still not really good and I don't, start praying with other people but I don't even pray with members of the church that often right so why is it we have this church we have the gospel but we don't use it mm -hmm. yeah for sure I I know like when I was on the mission that kind of broke me the the first time of, of some of that getting out of that shell when we would have to, to pray in the street a lot of times with people because they were a single sister or, or something like that and we couldn't go into their home. And so we would have discussions and lessons and prayers right there in the street. And it was just kind of like, oh my word, this is, this is not how you do things kind of a thing. 
but yet why not why why do we sometimes feel like we have to um, be secluded or private to, in order to pray. Uh, I, I love your example there of uh, just her knee-jerk reaction was, oh, just start praying about it. If, if you hear a need, talk to God right away. Always have a prayer continually in your heart kind of thing. I, I love that principle. And I remember one day we were driving away and she was out there pulling up her trash can and my son was with me. He's 20, 22 now, but at the time he was in seminary and we stopped and he ran out and got her trash can for her. And then we talked for a little bit and we drove away and he goes, mom, did you hear that Isaiah reference? And I go, no, I didn't. And he goes, yep. She was referencing Isaiah. And I'm like, why? <laughs> like in all her speech, even like it was always, you know, praising heavenly father and Jesus Christ and just so the gratitude in her heart and the love that exuded from her for them. Mm -hmm. And I just, I don't know, sometimes it makes me sad that I'm not like that. And I need to be more like that and be an example because she was an example to me. Mm -hmm. And, and I don't know why we we're so closed in the church. Do mm -hmm. you guys find that? Or is that just me? And we're, I don't know. It's almost like we're embarrassed or we're afraid. I don't know what it is, but we're very, very closed. And I just know that maybe I just need to pray to learn how to be more open and not be afraid. Sometimes I even think we're embarrassed to be members of the church or embarrassed by the church. I don't know what it is, but like, we're afraid to share. Is it embarrassment? Is it fear? Is it, and why? Why are we afraid? Mm -hmm. I have to say that reading this made me more conscious this week of um, including my religion in my conversations and being more open, like she was just saying. I don't think that, well, for me personally, I don't think like I'm ashamed of the church. Um, well, I live in Utah for one thing. I don't know where everyone lives that's in this group, but um, I have a lot of customers who are Christian and we talk about stuff a lot and I don't usually like, I make my beliefs more general, like Christian, you know, beliefs. Mm -hmm. But then today when I was talking, I was decided, you know, I'm comfortable talking about the prophet. I'm going to talk about the prophet. I'm going to be more of a missionary than making it just general Christian talk, you know what I mean? And I really, this is really, it really impacted me, this chapter. Um, I think not so much, you don't want people to feel left out or I have been condemned a lot because of the church. So I am a little bit, have been careful. I have been teased about things from church. So I think it makes, I mean, I don't think, I don't think it's happened a lot, but it does make you a little quieter and a little, not embarrassed, but just um, not sure how they're going to take it. But reading this chapter made me really want to, to tell how I feel about things and not be so general. Cause I talk about religion a lot, but more in a general Christian sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you. I'm in Texas. We, and when we've moved up here to Fort Worth, but at the time we were right on the border of Mexico. So we're like in the Bible belt, but I've lived in Panama. I've lived in Mexico city, Idaho, Illinois. I just, you know, I've lived all over, um, Colorado. So, but I, I've found that at least me, and maybe it's just me and just my shortcoming of not talking more freely. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Libby says that I think it's the stigma of us being pushy, possibly, because um, especially like in Idaho, Utah, for sure, I, I can see that that example there of, well, by now you've at least heard of the church and you're either for it or against it kind of thing. And so it's it's best just not to bring it up. <laughs> thing. It, it might kind of come across that way of, of being pushy to, to some degree. But, but yeah, it, I, I love Abraham's example here in this book and, and Kathy's experience there that, that this is really motivated to, to share and, and be specific and, and you know, uh, talk about the blessings that we receive day-to-day um, -day from living the, the, the true and, and everlasting gospel. 
So I served my mission in Salt Lake. And oh, let yeah. me tell you, my son served in Provo. And then we had a, a boy in our ward when we lived down south that went to Salt Lake. And he was just so upset. And partly because his brother teased him, his younger brother teased him. <laughs> but I looked at him and, and my son got teased all the time. Where are you going, Provo? No, I know. But once you get out of the MTC, where are you going? You know, and, um, and I said, you know what? just you get the last laugh because you're going to have the mission that everybody else thought they were having we're mm -hmm. going to have because you will stay so busy we were so busy i remember there were times if we didn't um go on splits we wouldn't have been able to teach all the people we had to teach mm -hmm. so even though you think everybody knows about it there that's part of the reason why there's so many people interested in the church Mm -hmm. And you stay so busy as a missionary. So maybe we need to be more vocal where the church is not as known. Do you know what I'm saying? So that people are more familiar with it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, exactly. And, and kind of taking Abraham's example and making sure that we pitch our tents where um, it is crossroads, where uh, we're always hospitable, always open, always sharing meals with people so that we have opportunities to, to do so and stuff. Yeah, I like that. Um, so uh, another question I'd like to pose to you on the top of page 86, it talks about spiritual pilgrims. And we talked about this in, in our other two groups. And I'd just like to, to see what you guys say. But what is the difference between a pilgrim and a pioneer? What's the difference and, and how does it apply spiritually? Like what is a spiritual pilgrim versus a spiritual pioneer kind of thing? So I haven't pulled out my dictionary, but just when you said that, isn't a pilgrim someone that like goes away that maybe the path has already been laid and a pioneer is like the one that first went would that be i mean a pilgrim is the one that laid laid the path but the pioneer kind of follows the i don't know that, that was i'm ho i'm hoping you have the answer for us <laughs> I, I love definitions and, and things like this so yeah i have my own thoughts yeah but i wanted to hear everybody else's too <laughs> um we used to say that a pioneer's in business is the one with all the arrows in his back but <laughs> he has to lead the way he goes out you know in our case pioneers were driven out they were forced to go somewhere versus a pilgrim is someone who's seeking looking you know on a pilgrimage to get someplace or a pilgrimage to learn something to journey mm -hmm. yeah for sure um so uh, a lot of time I, I like that that word pilgrimage there because that's what defines what, what a pilgrim does. A pioneer is somebody that um, uh, starts a, a new process or uh, either by their choice or by force, uh, blazing a new trail, doing a new thing, uh, pioneering a new idea, uh, etc. versus a, a pilgrim that starts out where the pioneer left off and goes back to the original. For, for the most part. This is a generalized definition, obviously. But um, pilgrimages, if we look at different religions and, and people that, that make pilgrimages, they often go back to the original holy site. And um, uh, we, as Intermountain West saints, we make pilgrimages back to Nauvoo, to Kirtland, to those early church history sites. Um, those are pilgrimages versus our pioneers that that came west um, and everything. So a lot of times the, the, the pilgrim gets misinterpreted based on um, the pilgrims coming over Mayflower. Um, and really they were, they were more pioneers in that specific sense, yet they were pilgrims coming back to Eden, uh, back to Adam and Diamond, to the original place of, of establishment with the, the Garden of Eden. Um, but anyway, I, I find that very interesting. And here, when we have um, it talking on, on page 86, that these pilgrims were, were going back to some holy site and then stopping 
um, by Abraham's house on the way to, to, to chat. So just uh, wild guesses, where, if we're looking at the, the history of the world, where are these spiritual pilgrims going back to? What holy site are they trying to, to travel back to, taking their families to go see, etc., and um, stopping by Haran on the way there? Any ideas? It's a pop quiz time. <laughs> Mecca. <laughs> Mecca, yeah. Um, so we have, um, actually, I forgot to pull up this chart. Let me pull up this before and see if it gives you any um, good hints here. So um, it, it's a kind of a genealogy chart. So we have Noah and his sons, Ham, Shem, and, and Japheth. I should include him as well. But um, I really wanted to show the connection how Nimrod and Abraham are related. So um, Ham and Shem are brothers. Cush uh, and Arphaxid, their sons, are cousins. Nimrod is second cousins with Selah. And then we have a whole bunch of fathers and sons here uh, down to Abraham. So Nimrod is second cousins six times removed with Abraham. And, and so we see lots of different connections as we uh, start seeing how um, the world isn't super uh, distant at this point. There's a lot of relations and, and connections uh, as Noah and his family are repopulating the earth. And so um, we, have, we know that in the days of Peleg, um, this uh, second cousin two times removed, in the days of Peleg, the continents were split. And uh, we know that Nimrod was the, the builder of the Tower of Babel. And in those days, the, uh, the languages were confounded. Um, uh, for me, I, I believe that those things happened at the exact same time and um, by the same uh, priesthood authority, possibly Melchizedek. But um, we have lots of different worldly commotion right here um, between Nimrod and Abraham. But yet we know that Abraham is still alive um, uh, Nimrod is still alive when Abraham is young and Abraham is in Nimrod's court. Um, anyway, I found that very interesting connection there. And um, if we're looking throughout all of the, the footnotes and, and things, um, all of these sources are pointing to the fact that um, Noah's Ark is still being used as a temple. Uh, it's a, a place where, where lots of spiritual pilgrims go to um, kind of go back to their roots, Father, Father Noah and his ark, and, and to be able to see that with their kids and, and things, you know, a few generations down the line. I find it very interesting um, to, to get that connection there. It, it opens up a whole new world, uh, you know, much like we take our, our families back to Nauvoo or, or you know, different church sites for, from the restoration. Uh, they were also doing the same thing. It's kind of a pattern of religious people to, to do that throughout the times. Um, so let's talk about Abraham's tent and this, just a second, is that in this section where we talk about Sarah's tent and the pillars and clouds and stuff? Um, <laughs> I've been recording the audio for chapters in the future and I kind of get confused. All of a sudden, I had a brain block on that. Um, yes, on, on page 94 and 95, um, we're, we're talking about Sarah's tent and, and things. I would like to just kind of talk about that. So when it references Sarah's tent separately, what ideas and, and things do, do we get from that? Did Abraham and Sarah live separately? Why is Sarah's tent mentioned separately? Uh, you know, like when Abraham uh, makes sure to, to pitch her tent first when they settle in a new place, etc. Why is that different? And why is Sarah's tent um, covered with a cloud? And, and what does that all represent? What are your all thoughts? I actually didn't take it literally like that. I thought he meant like he set up her stuff first and like got her settled first. I didn't take it that it was a separate tent. So that's interesting. And it might not be. Yeah, I, 
that's what I'm uh, seeing what, what you guys thought. She had her she shed and he had his man cave. <laughs> in, I in. In. Sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Um, I was just going to say in one of the come follow me, I don't remember which video I listened to last week, but or a couple weeks ago, it was talking about how um, tent could have also meant temple. And so it was interesting thinking of it that way, how maybe he had kind of his temple or his uh, private sacred space and she had hers, which when you think of the woman, hers is more, you know, our sacred temple is our home that we create. So that's kind of the, the viewpoint that I was thinking of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very interesting. I hadn't um, compared the two, that a tent would be a tabernacle or a tent or a temple and, and being a sacred space. Yeah. I like that lots better than the literal sense I took it as. I took it as two separate tents because in Jewish law, during women's menses, they have to stay away from the men mm -hmm. and you wouldn't want all your women servants to be in with your husband. And, and so I took it as two separate. And then it also talked about how um, Sarah was a teacher just as much as Abraham. And so maybe while the men were talking, she would say, come into my tent and let me talk to you, to the women. How is this going to affect you? Um, so she could, she could be with Abraham or she could have some of her own classes or teachings and sharing with the women and they could see that they weren't just chattel but they were important in this work and that Sarah was um, loved by Abraham and and he thought highly of her and so women in the gospel could be thought highly of and you know children of God like we say now mm -hmm. that was just my thought but I love the thought of the it was her temple, her sacred space too. Mm -hmm. cool. That yeah. makes sense where it says that she had the, oh shoot, did I, um, what was it? The smoke? I can't see it now. Um, just a second. The cloud of holiness? Yeah, the cloud of holiness. I love that part. I thought yeah. that was so neat. Yeah, because, sorry, my clock's chiming, but isn't that kind of like the Israelites <clears throat> with the, the cloud Christ, uh, the Lord was in the pillar of fire at night and a cloud, was it a cloud? Mm -hmm. or it wasn't smoke. It was cloud during the day. And that's when I, oh yeah, there it is. I see it. It's like the fifth line up. It's that last paragraph mm -hmm. yeah. out of holiness and God's testimony. So went, went on within. So it kind of, when um, Neil's wife was talking it kind of reminded me of like um, mission president and his wife, how she would take the women, you know, the sisters aside and he meets with the elders or whatever and teaches. And even how we see even more now, um, like sister Nelson, the apostles, wives and prophets, wives talking more, right. And they're being included more how they also are bearing testimony and teaching and sharing. So I really like that. Mm -hmm. Was that you, Kathy, that was saying that? No, that was Neil's wife that was saying that. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. I did love um, that it was a visible cloud of holiness and how she was constantly brought holiness into her home. That really inspired me this week. I really, really liked learning all of that. And it, it was really impactful to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you. Well, Cameron, I'm going to butt in here. I'm kind of pushing in on your third class, but in the <laughs> temple, don't they separate the men from the women? They sit separately. Uh -huh. So, I mean, I don't know. How does that figure in? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. You know, and because and, my first thought was going back to like, you know, why do elders quorum and, and relief society meet separately? Why is mm -hmm. uh, there two different organizations? There's, there's different things that, um, 
you know, in general conference, um, especially up in, until now, there, you know, you have the, the priesthood session versus the, the women's session. There's, there's different forums and different things that need to be talked about. And it's not that it's secret or private or anything, but, you know, it's uh, pertaining to their goals, their specific um, connections to, to Heavenly Father, because we have wildly different purposes. I, I think it was in this class, and if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was Libby that was talking about it last time, that um, we're, we have different um, uh, parts in the creation uh, versus like uh, women are, are over the, the physical creation of, of the bodies and, and housing that for nine months and, and bringing children into the world versus the, the man with the, the spiritual creation in, in the fact that ordinances bring um, the children uh, to become reborn kind of a thing. And, and so there's, there's some separate instruction that, that needs to take place. Um, and, and it's interesting that, that Abraham and Sarah mirror this here with, with their tents and, and things. Um, yeah, I, very interesting uh, insight there into the temple as well. That hadn't popped into my head that you know we, we sit separately and, the, and then we come together. There are certain times apart and there are certain times together, yet we're still um, one flesh. Um, in the metaphor where Christ is the, the male and his bride, the church, is the female, there, there are certain times when um, the instructions are, are separate, yet um, they, they come together and, and they're supposed to be united in, in one purpose. Yeah. I love that too. And also how we've been told to make our homes like a temple. Yeah. And I've thought of that several times since the temple has been closed, how inspirational that was that we make our homes like a temple because we're, we're not always going to be able to go to the temple and it is supposed to be like a refuge. So yeah, I really like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Our body's also a temple too. It said, said because we house the spirit of the Lord. So mm -hmm. yeah, exactly. There, there's many different uh, types and shadows of the temple here. And uh, yeah, uh, again, with the tent equaling the temple, I, I hadn't put that together, but yet, uh, of course it makes sense. Uh, you know, our, we're supposed to build sanctuaries of faith, make our, make everywhere we, we live and dwell and stand holy places. Now, Cindy points out that she liked the fact that Sarah, Soraya, depending on when it was, mm -hmm. she had a personal relationship with the Savior, independent of Abraham. It wasn't yeah. like she went to Abraham, Abraham went to the Lord, they worked together and they both got inspiration. Mm -hmm. Yes, very good point, because that points um, uh, toward next chapter when Abraham receives the revelation to go to Egypt, Sarah does not, yet that's, that's part of... Um, that pattern of um, Sarah, even though she has an individual connection, still can receive revelation through her husband and Abraham can receive revelation through Sarah. As, as a married couple, they are, are very equal in um, those, those roles. Um, that it's not always just coming through one person or always just coming through the, the person that holds the priesthood office but personal connections with, with the Savior. But, and isn't that insightful for us today as well? We all can have those personal connections with the Savior. It, it doesn't just have to come through our husbands and, 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 and you know, I, a lot of the changes with, with the temple wording uh, lately really points to that, that fact that sometimes that gets misinterpreted, that um, somehow the, the priesthood really... In, in times past misinterpreted pushes down or, or subjects women that um but we all can have that personal uh inspiration personal connection with the savior and that's so important so key to learn can i just say um i hope you guys can hear me i'm actually outside yep. <laughs> tonight um i will actually uh i'm in tahiti Oh, really? <laughs> uh, yeah, I've been traveling, but I've been trying to read 
Life's tough. Um, yeah, life's really hard. We were actually lucky to begin get in. Tomorrow they're closing the borders again. Oh yeah. Yeah, it was actually once in a lifetime. But anyway, um, I just want to say I highlighted the whole paragraph on the bottom of page ninety-seven to ninety-eight that describes so much about Sarah. Um, I just loved it so much. And you were just um talking about how, you know. Uh, what you were just saying about the temple and women and um, I just she's such an example and I was just so grateful for all of the um, descriptions of her and how patient they were because they she knew they were going to have posterity and yet all the long years and decades despite her faith and obedience she didn't get pregnant but she was still so she never caught off her conversation with God. I just love that and prayed continually. So mm -hmm. I just wanted to, I just love that paragraph about her. I just highlighted the whole thing. Um, it's such a good example. And, you know, there's not a whole lot of information about women in the scriptures. So anyway, I just love that paragraph. Mm -hmm. uh, I just wanted to throw that out there. Yes, for sure. Um, you know, a lot of times we, we have different little uh, exercises where we think um, if you could interview any person in time and uh, ask them uh, 20 questions or whatever kind of thing, um, a lot of times my mind goes to Abraham, but through this chapter, man, there's so many things that I want to ask Sarah. I want to ask her, like it says from that um, paragraph that um, Rossanne was quoting there. Um, she became a teacher and spiritual guide, teaching women about God and God's covenant. I would love to ask Sarah questions uh, about her connection to God and her insights into God's covenant, how she lived it, how her experiences really, really come to light. I, I've really grown to love Sarah throughout this book. And, and that was like the furthest thing from my mind. Not that uh, I was ignoring her in any way, but I, I didn't know that that would be an outcome of this book for me. I, I got to know Abraham, but I equally got to know Sarah. She, she's such an amazing woman. Uh, so many great experiences. And, and wouldn't it be awesome to, to hear her uh, full story and point of view um, uh, as the restoration rolls on? Who knows uh, when, when we'll get that. But anyway, I, yeah. I love her example of what she chose to do during all that time of infertility, yeah. but she continued to have faith, but she still acted as a mother, right? Mm -hmm. It sounds like from, from what, um, eh, I can't remember who it was. That did, oh, was it Rossanne that just shared that? I can't remember. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, yeah, on that, it sounds like she just really took to heart, kind of like Sister Nelson, right? Who's never had children. Yeah. And yet she, is very motherly and and teaching the gospel and sharing her testimony so i love that example of her because even those of us that have children there comes a time when we're maybe not around our children or our grandchildren as often as we'd like but we can still be a mother to others mm -hmm. yes for sure um all right. Well, we're you just love the part where she also, sorry about that. Um, didn't you just love the part where it said she prayed continually in that same, that same paragraph, she prayed continually for a child of her own and God took pleasure in hearing her voice as did a host of other people need of the spiritual and temporal sustenance. I love that part to mm -hmm. think, she kept praying for it and God liked hearing her voice, like not yeah. nagging or like you think, oh, I've been praying so long. He's probably sick of me. Like I, I thought that was really interesting wording. Yes. Likewise, on the bottom of page 99, it says that she taught the women while Abraham taught the man. Mm -hmm. And then I like on the middle of page 98, just below the half, where it's talking about Abraham was a man of prayer and therefore he was a man of power. President Spencer W. Kimball counseled that like Abraham, we must seek to qualify for such revelation by setting our lives in order 
by becoming acquainted with the Lord through frequent and regular conversations with him. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I, you know, um, I think, uh, Althea, when we were talking before, you know, like sometimes we have that, that kind of holy envy for people of other religions that uh, show their faith uh, kind of on their sleeve. They, um, uh, but like Spencer W. Kimball's counsel here that we must seek and qualify for such revelation by setting our lives in order. Frequent, regular conversation. Um, I, you know, there's, there's many great um, people who, who have frequent, regular conversations. And yet sometimes, I, you know, I, I find myself that I, I don't get there. I'm trying hard and hard to, um, to always have a prayer in my heart. That's such a hard principle for me to, to grasp for some reason, not grasp, to put in practice. That's the right word. Um, because there's so many different distractions and things throughout the day that, that really get us off kilter, but to always have a prayer in our heart, that frequent constant communication that President Spencer W. Kimball here is, is talking about, that's, that's so key. And a lot of that is through hearing him. We have to recognize how to hear him and hear him frequently so that we can recognize his voice more um, as it subtly intertwines with our days. I can't remember where I read this some t- somewhere this past week. I don't remember about that, that praying continually. Mm-hmm. And it mentioned something like, um, man, I wish I could remember where I read that, but um, that as um, our, if our focus is on God, it's not necessarily saying a prayer prayer continually, but it's just having that constant focus on Christ and having it in your heart that that is how you pray unceasingly and continually is to have that desire and that focus to have Christ be the center of your life. Is that really, um, I don't know, that meant a lot to me. Yeah, for sure. I remember, um, let's see, I don't know, it's probably been three or four years, but um, it was the first time that this even entered into my head. It was from an institute class, and they said to imagine that you're speaking to God when you're in prayer. So, like, actually try to picture his face in your mind as you're speaking with him. And I was like, whoa, that I how have I never done that before? I've been on a mission. I I mean, like I I considered myself versed in, in prayer and pretty good at it, but I had never even considered doing that before. And then with with this whole principle of always having a prayer in your heart, I find it that it's very similar that to always have a prayer in your heart means that you're always seeing his face before you. And, you know, if uh, we sing the song, like, if the savior stood beside me, would I do the things I do kind of thing. But if you're literally imagining the savior, God uh, next to you all the time, it it really does change our attitude and our focus at at every given moment of the day. Uh, I posed that question on, on Facebook years ago and I was like, okay, so when you pray to God, who are you imagining in your head? Are you imagining you know, baby Jesus? Are you a Christian, born again Christian, praying to the baby Jesus kind of a thing? Or are you uh, praying to a wise old man? Like, uh, who do you imagine? And my my feedback was was amazing. Like nobody else had, they were just like me. Nobody else actually pictured um, an actual person that they were talking to. It was just kind of a, you just, offer up a prayer and send it up and hopefully somebody reads it someday kind of a thing versus the actual face-to-face communication, imagining that as you're praying. That, that totally changed my paradigm and uh, changed the way that I pray and, and try to keep a prayer in my heart. Um, yeah, so we've got, <laughs> the time goes by so fast here. I'll tell you. Um, one thing interesting that I had in my notes was on page 87, uh, halfway down, it talks about, um, it, well, it's this quote from Hugh Nibley. It says that Abraham founded his Zion and those who wished to follow became the followers of Abraham by special rights and ordinances. They were adopted into the family. 
So he founded the church with the ordinances of the temple, even though there were yet higher ordinances he would still seek, not unlike Latter-day Saints doing temple work in the current land, even though there were additional ordinances yet to be revealed. I find this very interesting and a very uh, interesting parallel to our modern restoration that Abraham was, was here and, and they were sealing uh, together um, all of the, the people, all of the followers of Abraham, yet they, um, uh, they were adopting them into the family and sealing them uh, kind of dynastically how we did it at the beginning of the restoration as well with you know the the youngs and the smiths and the Prats and the hides like they were all sealing each other um sealing themselves to each other and not necessarily patriarchally so not father to son etc right off the bat they were doing dynastic sealings um and i i find that a very interesting parallel that abraham much like joseph smith because you know they're almost the same person as we go throughout this book they they follow the exact same pattern but they didn't get all of the ordinances right off the bat in their fullness, um, how they uh, would yet to be revealed. But they're, they're figuring things out and they, they get correction from time to time from the Lord. But, but as they go through, they are, are very much mirroring each other. Their dispensation versus ours. I found that very insightful. Okay, but Cameron, I'm reading just below that. Mm -hmm. That last line, he was striving to enter into the rest of the Lord, obtainable only by serving him with all of one's heart, might, mind, and strength. So that's a pattern for us, right? Yeah. And I also wanted to share, there's a YouTube video by Bruce Porter called about Abraham, the book of Abraham. And so just to parallel Joseph Smith, my understanding about part of the reason he did the Masonic Lodge was to learn things. Mm -hmm. And if you watch that video, um, it's very interesting because was it Ham that settled Egypt? His wife was Egyptian. Mm -hmm. yep. So he didn't have the priesthood he'd been endowed and that's what he tried to do. And that's what Bruce teaches is he sets up basically a temple ordinance. Mm -hmm. And that's what the, um, the, uh, yeah, what they, what they did. And I'm imagining that Abraham probably grew up participating in that as somewhat and learning, but knowing he didn't have the priesthood to officiate. Mm -hmm. um super super enlightening bruce's lds and he um i think he taught at byu and he worked a lot i think it was with hugh nibley mm -hmm. and so just explaining a lot about egypt egypt the book of abraham and um maybe the area that abraham grew up in so i would recommend it it's not it's like an hour long i don't think it's longer than an hour yeah, I haven't watched that video, but it's all very interesting there. Like Ghibli's book, where he talks about Abraham and the Egyptian endowment and, and things. You know, facts actually number watch two. It and you'll be astounded at what you hear. Mm -hmm. Astounded yeah. at what you hear and even what the hieroglyphics are teaching. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, <laughs> this was like a couple of years ago that I was in the temple and I was looking at the facsimiles in the back. And um, I was looking at facsimile number two and um, some of the, the little footnotes there that says um, that this information can be given in, in holy places or in the temple or something like that. And I was like, well, interesting. I'm in the temple. Do I understand it? And I was looking at it and I was like, holy cow, I, I can read this. I, I mean, like, I know what these symbols mean and stuff and like, that was very interesting having gone through the endowment that we're able to to understand some of those uh, hieroglyphics and, and things that you know i had no idea that i would ever be able to to read those things before but yet uh knowing basic gospel symbolism mm -hmm. um and, and things was, i was able to read those pretty good but not fully i'm not saying that i, I fully got their message but like yeah there's 
that the Egyptians had quite a bit of knowledge. And it's interesting that Abraham goes there, that, that, uh, that the Israelites go there, that Christ goes there. They, they have lots of different connections with astronomy, with the endowment, with, with all of that stuff. There's a lot to Egypt that boggles my mind. <laughs> And we'll find that out in next chapter too, because it's all about Egypt. <laughs> um, let's see, where do we go next? Um, page 92, I find this very interesting. Um, this was the first time that I've heard it, but I, I've seen it many other places since that um, it talks about here how to, to access the, the city of Zion, how to access Enoch's Zion, actually get inside. And it's all through the Melchizedek priesthood. The Melchizedek priesthood holds that, those, I mean, call them keys, like keys to open the, the door, the pathway into, into Zion. Um, here it says that, um, let's see, an order of the priesthood available in Abraham's day that could actually give mortals access to that translated city. And um, it's different than the patriarchal order. And we find that in our Doctrine and Covenants 107. Uh, that's a, a footnote that President Nelson uses uh, a lot of times. Um, speaking of, I, I did this in the other classes, but I, I forgot to do it here. Um, just real quick, let, let, let's pop over there. I'm gonna screenshot over. Um, I don't think we can review our modern prophets' words enough. Um, just from this last conference, um, uh, the Let God Prevail uh, talk, just the last two paragraphs, really briefly uh, reading through that, says, as you study your scriptures during the next six months, I encourage you to make a list of all that the Lord has promised he will do for covenant Israel. I think you'll be astounded. Ponder these promises, talk about them with your family and friends, then live and watch for these promises to be fulfilled in your life. My dear brothers and sisters, as you choose to let God prevail in your lives, you will experience for yourselves that our God is a God of miracles. As a people, we are his covenant children, and we will be called by his name. And he closes in the name of Christ. Um, uh, another uh, thing, going back to when he was first called, I know if you've been through Masa or Jody's group, you, you're familiar with, with these footnotes. Um, but in his talk from the, the general priesthood session, uh, ministering with the power and authority of God, uh, his footnotes are extensive and, and rich with um, meaning for our, for our day. He says in that talk, I fear that too many of our brothers and sisters do not grasp the privileges that could be theirs. Going to those footnotes, they are Dr. Covenants 84, 107, um, that, that same section that, that we just quoted in the uh, Abraham book here. And then the special treasure, if you go and take the time, something that's not easily clickable, but going to the Joseph Smith translation of Genesis 14, it, it talks about translation and how that is a privilege that can be ours in this day. Um, that, that it's given to mortals to, to be translated if that is their mission and, and their, their wish um, as they, they qualify for, for that. Very interesting, the things that we learn from our modern prophet. Um, but it, here, um, we learn that it's through the Melchizedek priesthood that that, that is possible. Um, but many of us are, are failing to recognize that it's our privilege to do so. And, um, and yeah, basically that. I'm just mumbling over my, my words at this point. But um, that, that brings me to um, two kind of homework things for, for next time. Um, reading through, taking the time to go and um, go and read the Joseph Smith translation of Genesis chapters 9 and 14. Um, especially if you haven't done it recently, this will greatly enrich your study for next week. Um, so the Joseph Smith translation, it's, it's not in the footnotes uh, in Genesis. It's going to be back in your appendix. Or if you're using the gospel library, it's in the study helps section. And so look up the Joseph Smith translation. 
and, and read Genesis chapters 9 and 14 in their full context there and, and learn about Enoch and, and the covenants that, that are made there. It's amazing that sometimes we, we don't take the time to, to go back to the Joseph Smith translation. We, we find the little footnotes that are handy, uh, the, the little snippets as we're reading, but, but taking the time to go back to those are, are very um, amazing. And then um, something that we'll be doing at the beginning of, of each class going on from here, um, I really want us to, to focus and, and share and um, uh, share our testimonies of how we are letting God prevail in our lives. Just like President Nelson, uh, I just quoted from, from his talk there. How is this book blessing your life and enriching your, your, your family, your testimony? Um, through studying Abraham and his covenants, like each chapter, how did this chapter help let God prevail in your life this week? I, I loved uh, Kathy's comments um, that, that this chapter really impacted her in a couple different ways of, of being able to, not being able to focus more on, on talking openly about uh, things and, and not necessarily generally. And, and things about Sarah and, and the home. Um, but how do we let God prevail in our lives? And so that we can all kind of get some more meaningful, actionable steps that we can take each week as we are letting God prevail by studying Abraham and, and his covenant. Well, God's covenant with us. Um, and then the, the second homework assignment um, is to... Uh, make a list of every trial that you've experienced in your life, either you or, or your family, um, but, but go through and line item out your, your different trials. And then go through and map out which trials go to which part of the Abrahamic blessings. So I do have an easy list on the Learning Zion website. Um, let me just bring that up really quick. So once you are logged in on the upper right-hand side, there is the, the 47 promises of the Abrahamic covenant. It's a blog post that I, that I put on there. And this is all quoted from Carrie Mulestein from Education Week. Um, I, I didn't change anything other than bolding the, the words on there. So um, there are 35 promises that God makes to us and 12 promises that we make to God. So as you are uh, making a list of all of your trials, try to pinpoint which promises or blessings from the Abrahamic covenant come into your life because of that specific trial. Um, I hope that makes sense. I, I kind of bumbled over that, but... Um, I, I think that that is going to help open our eyes and help us connect with Abraham in a, a deeper, more meaningful way. As we look at each of our trials and um, as we study Abraham's trials, we can see the, the individual blessings that are being poured out to us uh, from those experiences, that these trials are not for naught and, and they're not um, just given to us to, to help us endure. They have very specific and pointed promises and blessings associated with each one. And, and so those are the, the two homework assignments, listing out your, your trials and reading the Joseph Smith translation of those two chapters. Um, uh, we're going to have a fun discussion on, on Egypt and Abraham there and, and all of that, uh, how he let God prevail through that test and trial um, that, that he was on there. So just in closing, open it up for, for any additional comments and insights, things that you learned from this chapter, um, ways that, that God spoke to you through um, these experiences of, of Abraham this week. Um, just kind of final thoughts and testimonies. i love to hear it. I just appreciate you putting this group together mm -hmm. um, and sharing all that you know, because I've been trying to study it on my own and it's been way overwhelming. So Mm -hmm. I really appreciate the time you put forth and being willing to share with us. Um, I just learn a lot better in a group and, and I just.
want to be Sarah after that last week. I just like want everyone to come in and I want to feed everyone. And it's funny because on New Year's Eve, I had this gal, she's a member of the church. I don't know how active she is, but she brought me some bread and I had the impulse to invite her in for New Year's Eve. But then I just didn't feel like I had a good enough place. I didn't feel like I was good enough. And then reading this, I was like, I just, I just want to be her. I don't, it doesn't matter if I have the perfect place. And I just really like that. So, and I wanted to thank you, Cameron. Oh yeah, you're more than welcome. <laughs> I am so grateful for everyone that, that pops on and, and uh, participates here. It, it, it's, it's so fun to hear everyone's comments and um, know that more than just me is, is studying and, and getting these aha moments out of out of things that I'm reading is fun. I have one thought real quick before we end. I really loved the very last um, the very last thought in the chapter where it says, just as the Lord called his servant Abraham to serve as a missionary, so is he calling the saints today. Like Abraham, we must declare the gospel to the world, not stopping with a vocal declaration, but living the gospel so others can see the truth. And I love that because how many of us, you know, will will bear our testimonies in church or say, yeah, you know, we we believe and this is what we believe, but do we actually live that? every day in our lives and do people around us see that and our children and our neighbors and our friends and you know I think that is the greatest testimony that we can bear is by how we actually live so mm -hmm. I love that yeah thank you so much just from your comment there I, I got personal revelation that I needed to bear my testimony about Abraham this Sunday fast Sunday that uh, how often do we hear about Abraham in fast and testimony meeting? You know, we are supposed to testify of the Savior, but the Abrahamic covenant, the, the blessings that we're seeing from that, because I'm seeing so many Abrahamic blessings in my life. I need to testify of that. And, and I don't know <laughs> if I would have been in tune been for your comment there. Thank you. Where was that list located again? Um, the list that I pulled up on the screen. Um, it's on the Learning Zion website. Um, let's see. So when you go to the homepage, it's on the upper right-hand uh, side. It's the 47 promises of the Abrahamic covenant here. Thank that's you. the one that you were referring to, right? Yes, that's right. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Cameron, I have one last comment because it was brought up in the group two by Stacia. Oh, uh-huh. And she talked about the reception and the indwelling of the spirit. And it also said he was possessed with the Holy Ghost at all times. And so I think that's why he was a great missionary because he had the spirit with him all the time, 24 seven. And he mm -hmm. lived such a righteous life that he had the spirit with him all the time. And I think when you have the spirit with you, it gives you the courage to speak out. I mean, I think that it, that's what the spirit gives you. It gives you um, impressions and thoughts and things to say that you wouldn't normally say on your own mm -hmm. um, and to bear testimony of Christ. So I think that's the key why he was such a good missionary, because he received that experience of having the spirit with him all the time. Yes, for sure. Um, what do you know? What page that's on? Right, that off? is on. I think the second page in the chapter, page eighty-two, about two thirds of the way down. Okay. Yeah, eighty-two indwelling. And I think that's the key to why he was such a great missionary. Um, he lived such a righteous life, and you know he became holy, mm -hmm. complete, and whole and perfect in God's eyes. So yeah, he had sure. the spirit with him always. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're striving to do, but <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't always happen. Yeah, so. exactly. yeah the, the indwelling, it was something that I had never really, um, I, I've heard it before and I've been intrigued. It's on my to-do list to study, but mm -hmm. I there's several names for it. I had not heard that mm. term before, but there's several names and there's been talks by Elder Bednar and Ezra Taft Benson on the topic, but they just use different words for mm -hmm. it. 
Yeah. So, yeah. I love that. And if you look up the scripture in John, I think it's 3 8, it talks when he talks to Nicodemus, if you know the story about Nicodemus. Yeah. So, yeah, it's in there too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank so. you so much. And, and she's, Elda has posted some, some great insights there on the Learning Zion website as well for, for that specific uh, topic, the indwelling and, and that uh, living by the spirit all the time kind of a thing. Um, yeah, uh, just one last quick thing that throwing it out there uh, for everyone that in our, our second group, we talked about um, maybe continuing the, the book group after this Abraham book and doing Triumph of Zion next, and maybe Isaiah decoded after that. Um, just throwing it out there, if anybody wants to get those books ordered or, or anything like that, um, we, we're possibly um, doing that next. And then after those three, we might go back and, and hit them again, because the, you know it's good to, to review these Blessings of Abraham and uh, see what we learn um, as time goes on, and maybe review it again. again? Uh-huh. So the, the Triumph of Zion by John Pontius, and then um, Isaiah Decoded by Avraham Gileadi. And I will, um, well, yeah, let me just uh, put that here in the Triumph of Zion by John Pontius, and um, Isaiah Decoded by Avraham Gileadi. I, I'm butchering Gileadi, but however you spell his name. <laughs> um, those were two books that we had kind of talked about um, really being uh, instrumental in, in helping us progress and learn and grow as we were awake. Um, let's see, catching up with the chat here. Um, the Joseph Smith translation of Genesis chapters 9 and 14 is the, the homework. Um, Let's see, 14, yep, yep, okay. Yes, all of a sudden there's a whole bunch of chats and I'm like, oh, I forgot to look over there. <laughs> um, but yeah, thanks everyone for, for showing up and, and having a great discussion. I <laughs> Seriously, I was like hoping that you'd all participate because I was so tired, but now I'm, I'm wide awake. I'm gonna be studying all night, I think. <laughs> I'm just super grateful that you guys keep me accountable. That was part, President Nelson's talk was part of the reason why I wanted to do this, to learn more about the covenants of Abraham and, you know, trying to do it on your own. You just let life get in the way and you don't study like you should. So I appreciate you putting this together, Cameron, to at least keep me accountable this week. I didn't read, this was a crazy week, but um, also I feel immensely blessed by the Lord this week and I've had some wonderful experiences. So Anyways, I just really appreciate you all and all of your comments and input and it just uplifts me and we were actually out in the spa tonight and I'm like, oh, I got your text. I'm like, oh, I haven't read and it's time to go in and get ready. And so I just love that it holds me accountable and I have this night to look forward to. So thank you guys. Yeah. Yep. You're more than welcome. <laughs> yeah. Thanks everyone. Um, we will see you next week. <laughs> Bye. Night. Bye.